Hi, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more, go to pnwa.org and you can find out about that. Like I mentioned last week, I've got a brand new podcast, Fearless Writing, Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer. I uh, can find it on YouTube and where all your or any of your podcasting apps. And this is all about the many emotional, psychological mastery we need to, to write. The first four episodes currently available include uh, A Writer's Worst Fear, what that is, uh, Why You Don't Actually Care What Anyone Thinks of Your Stuff, It's True, and, and Why There's No Such Thing as Good Writing, Parts 1 and 2. Yeah, controversial issue. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer, YouTube, uh, podcasting apps. You can also find information about it on my website, williamknauer.com. Okay, something different. Got to interview not one, but two authors. That's right, two authors, Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans. Uh, they have written three novels together, Tiny Imperfections, Never Meant to Meet You, and forthcoming, The Better Half, which has been picked up by Mindy's Book Studio at Amazon. Very cool. Ali and Asha found literary soulmates in each other after working Together, as teacher and school administrator in Seattle, uh, they discovered a shared mission as educators and as authors to use humor, joy, and compassion to write stories and encourage candid conversations about issues such as race, religion, culture, class, privilege, parenting, and education. And we talked about some of those things, but we just talked about what it was to write a book together. They write them together, novels. Very unusual, but they've got a good system. It clearly works. I mean, they've done three books. Very interesting Really cool women, and uh, yeah, glad I get to share the conversation with you. Enjoy. Okay, this is going to be a good and interesting day, something a little different. I got not one, but two authors here to talk to, co-authors, Asha Yeomans and Allie Frank. Welcome. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're going to, you know, the poor listeners aren't going to know, but I'm going to start. I'll start with Asha. Hello, Asha. Hey, Bill. So Asha is here in Seattle with me. Uh, Allie's out in Sun Valley, Idaho. But let's begin here. You two are kind of old, old-ish pals. In other words, you've known each other for longer than it took to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Yeah, on average, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we've been friends longer than it takes the average writer to write a book. But um, yeah, we did meet later in life. So, um, but, uh, you know, sort of that middle age area in life, but we were teaching at the same school. Okay, yeah. So walk me through that. So, okay, so I know one of you was an administrator, and one of you, one of you was a teacher. I'm going to guess the teacher was Allie. And the administrator was Asha. Am I correct, or I got it backwards? Well, we give you part partial credit for that, though. Partial okay. credit for that one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we we've both been teachers in our lives, but I was the administrator and ah. Asha was the pre-K teacher. Okay, so all right, so you're at a school, and it's in Seattle, where I where we are currently. Okay, so you're both teaching. Is it a public school or a private school? Private school. 
Okay, so you meet at a private school and you're both teaching at that point or no, you're the pre-K. You said you were a pre-K teacher, Asha? I was, yes. Oh, man, okay. Um, <laughs> and Allie, you're, and you're running this school, Allie. They're, everybody's well, under I, Well, if, if only, I was the assistant head of school, but both Asha and I, uh, well, her classroom was right below my office. And so we were always seeing each other, but we also both worked on the admissions committee because it was an independent school. So really where we, I feel like we really got to know each other on an intimate level was on the admissions committee because we very soon found out that we had similar senses of humor about yes, the love, but also the absurdity uh, that can come along with the private school world. And so we spent a lot of time together sort of giggling about it behind closed doors. I, I remember I had kids, I raised a couple of kids in Seattle and um, we went to public schools and, but even these were some nice schools and the parents just seemed absolutely insane to me in terms of, I understood they wanted the best for their kid, but I kind of felt like it's going to be okay. This elementary school is not going to make the difference. So you had to do, and, and at private school, I assume it's just sort of, jacked up even that much higher <laughs> it is i think that's a really good way to put it that it's jacked up a little bit higher. Um, yeah. but to be fair hey we both were parents of students in that school all four Ooh. of our children went through the school very um lovingly and successfully so when we're poking fun at all the absurdity we realize and appreciate and remember that we were part of that absurdity too. Right, right. So we're laughing at ourselves as well. Yeah. Good. All right. So you mentioned laughing. I I was thinking about friendship as mine over the years. And I have to say humor, when I think back on it, was a big reason I was drawn to the people I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of led with that. Is it true? I mean, because you, why, why do you become friends with someone? What is it that draws you back? Did it was it was it humor and a kind of life view that you two bonded over? What would you say? Well, I think I mentioned that, you know, we met later in life for a reason earlier on there, because um, especially for women, the most of the women that I know, um, we're, we have these long friendships with the women that are close to us in right. our lives. Um, and there's sort of this, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, avoidance of creating new friendships when you get a little older because you kind of think, God, does that person want me to go out to a, a poetry reading with me? Like, <laughs> I just want to Netflix and right. Eat popcorn. Right, right. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, having a similar sense of humor definitely drew us together. Um, yeah. And it and it became the found uh, the initial foundation for us, sort of talking and chatting and sharing, but um, quickly grew into something more like family. Yeah, and plus, Allie, it must have helped that you were working together because you get to see each other every day, and so you can sort of just talk about small stuff and just kibitz, and then get into something deeper if the if the time allows. Yeah, but I think also you know we've spent between the two of us over 40 years collectively in schools. And uh, on the topic of friendship, you watch children become friends and you can always tell how it's gonna evolve as a child or as an adult when 
you know, if one child really steps in it or makes a mistake and then the other child allows for forgiveness of right. that mistake and then they move forward and then they go play Foursquare on, you know, the playground. It's the same thing for adults. And I think even more tenuous when you're making adult friendships is because people get more and more sort of stuck in their values and their ways and their beliefs of older or friendships when you're older come from still that same place. Can we laugh together? But also if I step in it, if I make a mistake, will there be forgiveness? Will there be compassion? And then will we will we move forward? And I think for, you know, Asha and I, that developed in school because we both made mistakes as teachers, sure. administrators, but we gave each other space and compassion. And then when you come together to write a creative endeavor about really challenging topics and already, you know, personal creativity is so fraught with emotion and personal investment for us to then be able to continue to laugh, but show compassion and when mistakes happen and to allow for the other to have mistakes and move forward is also why we've been so lucky to have this simultaneous, unbelievable working partnership, but really strong, you know, middle age friendship. Well, yes, because obviously we're not just here to talk about friendship, although we could. But mm -hmm. there's a reason you're talking to me. It's because you've published, you've written book number three, uh, The Better Half. And so talk to me about that decision. You like each other. You like hanging around. You like talking about teaching. But, you know, the decision to write together. I have interviewed maybe three or four people, and I've interviewed a lot of people. And only about three or four of these books have been, interviews have been with two people. So talk to me about that decision. It's an unusual one, not in the world of screenplays at all, but in mm -hmm. fiction, very unusual. So talk to me about that. Whose idea was it? Whose I whose mad idea was this? Was it, <laughs> you can't even remember me. Can oh, I yeah. start? Can I start off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so actually, part. Ash and I had both gone on to um, from our school where we both were. I had started. Um, another private school, Asha had started a catering company, but in my process of starting this new school, I was, and I'd lived in San Francisco forever. So I was back visiting a school that I was a big part of in San Francisco. And I was talking to the director of admissions there, and this was in 2017. And in the school, the director of admissions um, is a phenomenally well-regarded, respected, incredible Black woman. And it happens to be in a school in which the environment is very um, white and yellow and light woods. <laughs> and it happened to be at when applications were due and there were all these white parents around who wanted a piece of her. And I, I was like, God, this is a fascinating idea that in the frenzy of parenting for perfection, which we seem to live a little too much in, there is a black woman that's holding the keys to the kingdom that this entire white population wants in on. Right. And that's really kind of a, re a reverse of how much of history has been. 
So fast forward a couple of weeks, I was in Idaho. I was helping my parents. Long, boring story. I had to take a bus to Boise in a snowstorm. And I kept wow. thinking on this idea, thinking on this idea. And in my true enthusiasm and in the idea of being forgiving of your friends, because you know things come from the best place in your heart, I called Asha up without saying like, hey, it's Allie, any sort of, hey, what's going on? Just sort of yelled at her in the phone. Hey, do you want to get together and talk about like race in schools? <laughs> and I'll let you take it from there. I, I picked up the phone and said, who the hell is this? <laughs> you hadn't talked on the, had you not talked in a little while? I mean, it was just a, a shouting voice over the line. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I, there's no preamble. There's not nothing. The um, urgency was there. Okay, so you get this bizarre phone call and you don't say, go away and leave me alone. No, you keep talking. Hey, I met up. I, I had to meet up with Allie. We had stayed in touch um, whenever she had an important holiday for her family to throw a Seder for Passover. Uh, she would call me and say, oh, can you fix me a brisket? Oh, right. You're, of oh course, you're, you're catering. It's <laughs> catering. So you're the, and okay. I do not right. cook. <laughs> okay, got it. All right. So you guys stayed in contact, but this is we something stayed else. in touch. Yes. And we met at a coffee shop near my home and talked about the old days of teaching together when we used to tease each other and say, Oh my gosh, when I write a book, I'm gonna put this kid's story in it. Oh no, when oh, I write okay. a book, I'm gonna put this story of that mom in it. But oh, we were joking. I'm gonna write all about right. that staff meeting. Did you see what a show that was? Right, right. Um, but really just sort of fantasizing and teasing each other. Um and when Allie proposed this idea, she had this great story. Uh, was we were laughing, just envisioning how it might go. I thought, gosh, I'm going to try this. I came home and talked to my husband and said, Allie wants me to write a book with her. What do you think? And he said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, he was right. In general, in, in general, he was right in his defense. <laughs> I think okay. for him, a lawyer, I mean, every word is his. He's, a, he's very protective of his writing. It was a bad idea for him. Right. But it seemed intriguing for me and yeah. I didn't know what I was supposed to know or what I wasn't supposed to know. Yeah. That it helps. Turned out really neither did Allie. No, because neither of you, it sounds like had a deep at that point relationship to, I mean, I'm sure you wrote, but having yeah. like a long time, like I'm writing short stories in my room at night or trying to publish, like it was really probably more practical to that point. Yeah. Definitely big readers, both of us writers. Yeah. Um, in our own way, but nothing for me with any plan, immediate plan to publish anything until right. um, Allie and I struck up this partnership. And it turns out that what the things she's really great at, I'm not so good at. Oh, okay. I'm really great at, she's not so good at. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. So you are so with Lennon and McCartney together, of novel writing here. Hey, you put us oh, yeah. together, we make one good writer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Bad math. One plus one equals one writer. <laughs> Well, that's okay. So, but uh, so you both got to learn how to write together. What an interesting! You yeah. got to learn the, the the craft of storytelling together. Um, and did, so, and but the, now the premise that you were describing sounds like the book I just read a little mm -hmm. bit. But I know this is book number three. I didn't read the first two. Were they similar premises, or did they just, or did it just take a long time for you to come back to this story? Um. Well, that's a great question. So. 
this, and it's funny because we're so immersed in our fourth manuscript right now. Uh, okay, you've already forgotten. Books, well, not to that, but our first three books do, um, the backdrop is a school. Okay, all three. Same school? A, a different school each time. Okay, but gotcha. Sort of a, they're not related stories at all. Right. But we've sort of done, in a sense, a trilogy of schools. We've had a director of admissions. We've had a teacher. And with this book, The Better Half, we have a head of school. Right. Now we're leaving those worlds. But, oh. you know, it is hard because they're, the one thing is every single person on this planet can relate to the experience of going through school. It's true. Well, there are a few now. <laughs> There's a few out there for whom that's not the case, but you're right. I would say 95% yeah. at least, at least, yeah. right? And even those that are homeschooled, they're still like having to do math. Yeah, it's true. That's so, true. you know, there's so much fodder there with that commonality. And also schools are multi-generational places. You've got the kids, yeah. you've got parents, you have grandparents that are involved. Um, you have relationships that play out that we just, and between our experience in schools, we had a lot to write and tell yeah. and have fun with there. So um, the better half is drastically different than our other two books, but there's still a school. Yeah. Well, school is such a formative, I, you know, I teach writing to people and some of the things I have to help people unlearn, no offense, school teachers, my sister's a teacher. Yeah is some of the stuff they learn in school. Science is good and science is not so good about the way we learn and the way, and certainly the way we write. Oh, if I could correct one thing, it's how people teach writing. It's not done correctly. But that's another subject. That is right. another subject. Um, talk to me about your process. How do you do it? Because I will say, I will say when I read this book, I wasn't saying, hey, different writer in this paragraph, different writer in this chapter. It felt like one contiguous voice. So what's your process? How does it work? Trading chapters, trading sentences. What do you do? Well, I'm going to let Asha explain what we do, but I just want to give one quick preamble before she explains that um, there is a saying that's often, you know, people often, writers often say, and it's like, you want to write a book, you can talk about it, you can go as many classes as you want, you can read as many books as you want, but if you want to write a book, put your butt in the chair. Oh, yeah. So Asha and I, we had zero experience, no classes, no going to lectures, but we were diligent from the get-go and yeah. are, even with our experience, of getting our butts in the chair all the time. We don't spend a lot of time with critique groups and Facebook groups and all these other things that pull you away from the actual work that has to get done. So we were diligent about, we've been diligent about doing the work with zero experience. Diligence goes there. a long way, baby. Okay, Asha, tell me how you guys do it. Describe, describe yeah. the writing process. I have to tell you that um, Allie has a mind that I'm still working on trying to untangle. Okay, All right. I'm convinced there are as many neuro pathways to stories as there are neurons in her brain. Wow. Uh, she is a phenomenal story weaver. So envisioning the beginning, middle and end of a story, um, the tensions therein, the tangents and how to loop them back to 
have them uh, um, contribute to the overall story. She's amazing at it. And so we'll come up with an idea and we'll start talking and she'll lead me in a direction. And I might say, well, I don't get that. What about this? And she'll say, oh yeah, we can put that in. We're sort of talking through this whole outline at the beginning together, but she sits down and bangs out the first few paragraphs of it and sends it to me. And I am more of the person who is interested and inspired by creating the characters and their voices and who they are as people and what motivates them. Why do they have the point of view that they have? How are they going to feel when they say this sentence? How is it? How is this joke going to contribute to the story? Um, right. So she's kind of the bones and I'm the meat on the, oh, interesting. Meat on the bones. And then we put the skin on it together. But all right, but mm-hmm. I st- I'm still not totally seeing it. So here's what I'm picturing so far. I'm picturing two people sitting around, that's the way, you know, you got to do it. You got to do talking it through. And then Allie goes away, blah, 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 writes out the first page or whatever. But at some point, but then you don't write the whole rest. You don't say, okay, I've got this outline, the storyboardish kind of thing that you guys have both talked through. But you don't write the rest. You can't. You must. You write a chapter and then send it back. Like, well, how do you yeah. actually write the thing at that point? We call we call it literary leapfrog. Okay. And, and we also tell people because we never know if writers are listening to this and thinking like, oh, maybe it'd be fun to write a book with someone. Uh. It is really <laughs> laborious up front. So I, you know, I'll get a couple chapters down with a ton of questions in it. I send it off to Asha. She addresses all those questions, all the meat, all the dialogue. We have some hilarious stories around my ability to write male dialogue. (laughs) Story for another time. (laughs) And then then I work on the next three chapters. And so we leapfrog back and forth like that until the story is down, like the 350 pages. It's ugly, but it's down. And then that's when the real work starts because that's when we're going back and forth a week at a time is each other's house houses because we sit down probably six times before it even goes to our editor and we read out loud slowly. Okay, that's how you do it. Every single word, every single comma, exclamation point, you know, go to the mat on issues where we might see something differently, high five each other on something we both agree is just freaking hilarious. But that is where we're really actually the story's down, but it's ugly, but that's where we're really building out a novel because there's I got a difference you. between getting words on the paper and then bringing it to life. And that's the side by side of every single solitary word in that book, in each book, we have to agree on, because then we have to be able to both defend it as a black woman, as a white woman, as a Baptist, as a Jewish, out in a world that's so quick right now to poke holes. We have to be 50 50 and love every piece of it is that so is that a good description asha is that just is that how it goes that's how it goes you sit down you read it out loud to each other and really that time that we get to spend together shoulder to shoulder is where the book comes the most alive yeah that's really where the magic happens i mean we're doing a lot of technical things when we're passing it back and forth and we're fleshing it out 
But where it really becomes a novel is when we get to be together. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, and can uh, I just add one more thing to that? Just because yeah. we're in exactly one week, we're doing exactly that. You're gearing up. Fourth, okay. For our fourth novel. And it is the hardest work. Like I love doing it with Asha, but it is it is exhausting going through every work. So in my mind right now, I'm like, okay, okay. And this is probably our what Asha's seventh time going through this one. Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm here in Idaho, like get myself back geared up for a full week of just sitting on our butts. Yeah. Going through every single word. Yeah. Well, it can be, I mean, it's, you have this, it's, you got to really pay attention. You got to pay attention for all those hours. You got to be really tuned into each word and, yeah. and, and not tune out as the other one's reading. Yeah. Uh, what do you, because when I'm, when I write one of the pleasures, well, really without this, I wouldn't do it is surprise. In other words, I must be surprised by what I get, or I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and so surely this, that has to play in as you're actually writing. In other words, when it's in your hands, Asha, and you're just writing along, I assume something comes along that you didn't predict until you put it down. But then I assume also then there's what the other person wrote that surprised you. So I would assume this surprise is happening from both sides. Is that is that fair, Asha? Well, I would say that um, there are often times when both of us will get to a point and go, you know what really would go right here that would kind of help us shore up this part of the story is this idea. Yes, we got to go back now. Right. And see how we can thread that little piece through and bring our readers on to our side with this point. So we're writing and investigating at the same time. I think yeah. we're we're writing and learning from each other at the same time. Oh, that's good. But I, that's good. I will, I will say, and Billy, if you know, you know this feeling that the last like 50 pages, you're, you're smelling the barn and you just, so for me, I'm just like going, going, going. And that's where a lot of like the crazy ways that, you know, it ties up and blah, blah, happens. So Asha's working on something else. And when I send her, I mean, it just happened. When I send her that last 50 pages, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for her to see like, oh, you know, how I pulled something together. And I'm like, I'm like a little kid at home waiting for their parents to, you know, get home and give their opinion of something. And like, I get pouty if Asha hasn't called me and be like, oh my God, I can't believe so and so happened. And then that's I'm right. Because like, you, you have a reader and a partner, because she's both a reader. You're both <laughs> readers for each other and creative partners. So you get a little, yeah. little bit of that dopamine of getting a reader read your stuff, just a drip totally. of it. So I get most excited about her element of surprise in the last 50 pages of each of our books. Like that's my favorite right. one. Oh, that's nice. How about you? What's your what's your favorite part of this this she she loves that. What about you, Asha? Does that what's your favorite part? I love that we're so different in the ways we react not only to a story but to this whole business of writing. Um, Allie will talk herself into a frenzy about how this book and these characters are not as good as our last one and she doesn't like them and where are we gonna go with this book? Cause I don't, I'm not friends with these characters yet. That always happens at the beginning. And I have to talk her through and go, 
you can be friends with this family too. It's coming. We're going to like them too. Just keep writing. Or she tells herself, I'm not going to read any of the reviews. And then she'll call me and go, okay, look at our reviews today and tell me what they say. (laughs) All right, listen, I'm now going to editorialize. Don't read reviews. Don't do it. 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 I know you will, but don't. (laughs) Oh man. But see, they make me laugh. I think. Oh, good for you. Look at this review. They're to- they said our book is totally racist. We got to put that in our next book. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so she's very angsty and I'm very laid back. Oh, so, it works for us though. Oh, good. So, oh, that is good because usually the angsty artist has no one to turn to but their own anxiousness. So you get to be part, you get to midwife her through this a little bit. It's my favorite. <laughs> part. I just love it. When I see her name pop up on my, on my um, caller ID, I'm like, oh, it's Ali again. Oh, let's see what she's upset about right now. <laughs> and so, all right. So, what about what about when there's disagreement? Because for sure, you can't. You know, you got different ideas about about. I mean, I'm I'm a big Beatles fan. I remember McCartney telling a story about when he and Lennon were about ready to kill each other, and Lennon just kind of leaned forward and lowered his glasses and said, "It's just me, you know." They didn't end up killing each other. So. What do you do when you disagree? How do you work that out? It's got to happen. Go ahead. Um, it, of course, it definitely happens. We are our own women. We have our own personal points of view, our own life experiences that drive those points of view, um, our own place in whatever box society puts us in. And those points of view come into developing characters and stories and um, what we think is right or wrong on the page. And we have met up with those moments together, many of them, and we anticipate more coming um, as we continue to write about weighty issues. But, um, you know, Brene Brown has this great quote about empathy and the greatest source of, you know, way to show empathy is to believe in, believe someone's story, listen to them when they tell you something. Um, and we do that. If I say something that Ali doesn't agree with and we're we're sort of debating about it, we have to step back a little bit and give each other the space and the grace to mull it over, run it by someone else, you know, tell your yeah. kids about it, see if they listen. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that we land on the same note 100% of the time, but we have developed enough trust in each other through this kind of work to come to a happy medium. Somewhere where we can get our point across and it'd be acceptable to us both. Yeah, because it sounds like you. Uh, I was, you know, there's there's artistic differences just in terms of like, eh, this sentence is needed. No, it's not. This is, you know, which is just in terms of does rhythm right. But you're also speaking, I suspect, too, because if you're dealing about, as you described, weighty issues, there's going to be a conflict, there's going to be a resolution or something or maybe no resolution. But either way, that's a choice about looking at a subject. And so and to some degree, you have to conclude, agree upon how to view this subject, whether it's race or gender or money, whatever. There's so many things we can look at. But you have to come to some agreement about what you, where you want to land, what is emotionally and aesthetically satisfying. And so that takes, because you, you might assume you agree, but maybe you don't until you come to there. And, and, oh, and, and also, by the way, this is one of my things I've, from my own stuff, is that I often don't know what it is I'm trying to get at until I get there. In other words, I I think I, I'm discovering what I mean, discovering what I know in the writing. So often I have to find out. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I also think for us, you know, something that's, it's always great when there's yet another level of a higher power above you. And Asha and I both have the mission in our writing that we write as one voice and we write from humanity first and then religion, gender, everything else. So when you have that higher mission of we're writing in one voice and we're writing as a human first, then it does take away the layer of conversation of Asha saying, well, no, this is the way it should be because it's a black character and I'm black. Or me saying, no, this is the way it should be because it's a Jewish character and I'm Jewish. Right. Because it's we're, it's not as simple as that in the way we're writing our characters. So because we have that higher um, uh, you know, mission of what we're trying to do, we both come into those hard conversations knowing that we want the same outcome and we will get there because we have a greater mission and reason to get there. And I think that's really helpful versus if we were writing in a way that was just divided by you write what you know, and I write what I know and we weave it together. I like it. Human first. It's true. You know, I write personal essays and my goal is always to make the reader, whatever they may look like, or B, feel like it's their story, even though technically it's mine. I feel like if it feels like mine and not theirs, I haven't succeeded. So, ah, I agree. I love your mission. Does that sound good to you? Is that, is that, do you concur with that, Asha, that it's that sort of humanity first that helps you find agreement? I do. It, I, it's part of the reason I'm always throwing food into our books, too. Because <laughs> everybody got to eat. Everybody <laughs> on this planet has to eat and drink. And we're the only species to cook and share our food together. The only one. And there's a reason for that. I really feel in my heart, there's a reason for that. And it's because sharing over a meal, boy, that is just an incredible way for humans to connect. I agree. So that's another added part of our our story writing. Plus, we like to eat, too. (laughs) Don't we? we? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now do you, you guys, look at your Women have been doing a lot of interesting stuff. You got, you've had various careers, it sounds like. But have you allowed yourselves to, at a party or something would say, what do you do? Have you allowed yourself to say, I'm a writer? Do you say that? Do you feel funny about it? Or have you embraced it three books in? Sometimes people can't do it. What do you say? Can you do it? I bet we have, might have different answers. You go first, Sasha, then I'll go. I, I, yes, I say I'm a writer. Because if you ask me if I'm princess and queen of the Nile, I'm going to say yes to that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> not a problem. All right. Good for not you. Not a problem. For, uh, yeah, I do believe I'm a writer. Um, well, of course you are. But, you know, sometimes it's a hard label. You know, sometimes that label has a, some, for some people, has some weight to it that unnecessary, but there it is. But for you, you embraced it. I, I definitely have. Good for you. Okay. Allie. Asha, I have a question for you. We actually haven't discussed this. So this is a curious question about Asha. When we were working on our first book before we had a publishing contract with Putnam. Did you tell people you were a writer? Not before I held a book in my hands. I think that that is a mistake of mine. I should have started to pump myself up much earlier than I did. I wasted a whole year and not patting myself on the back. And I would tell other people, if you have a voice and you have a story and you have a piece of paper and a pen and you write things down from that voice and story, you're a writer. Doesn't matter if it ends up being bound in a beautiful cover like ours is, you're still a writer. 
Wow. But you couldn't give it to yourself right away. Not yet. But yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Honest. I like it. What about you, Allie? How do you, can you, do you, well, I would that's a perfect example. I mean, teachers recognize this all the time, right? Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> um, I, because I, I, in theory, believe that as well, but I would never apply it to myself. And I would say I did not call myself a writer until we had sold our second book because I was still under that guise of like, oh my God, were we a one hit wonder? Like, you know, Vanilla Ice should probably never call themselves a musician. <laughs> so I was, it took me until our second novel to comfortably say out into the public, I'm a writer. And I still also am like, do I say I'm a writer, an author, a novelist? I don't want to sound pretentious. Like, so it's kind of a, funny, you know, as a profession, it's a weird way to figure out like, what do I say that conveys what I do? Yeah. You can say, I, I have a client who's a very, very successful stand-up comedian and he, this is what he's been doing for 30 years. But he says, I never say I'm a comedian. He says, I perform comedy. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't feel comfortable saying I am that, which is true on a, on a spiritual level. You're more than that. You do, yeah. you are not what you do. Even though you love doing it. I'm sorry. So maybe you have the right, maybe a good impulse there. All right. Listen, so the book is book number three from the team of, have you tried to create a Benefer or a kind of uh, one of these celebrity combo names for yourself yet? Well, here's the crazy thing. Our editor is Allison okay. and all three oh. of us are Leo's. Weird. Oh, so we okay. have triple, we have the triple A's. We have the Leo's. Oh my God! Yeah, but Mindy Kaling's not your editor. Yeah, no, she unfortunately she is not taking our words to task. Oh well, okay. Uh, yes, so it's the Mindy Kaling Mindy Kaling Studio, Mindy's Book Studio. Yeah. So that's who's picked up the book for those one. That's another conversation. Not so interested in it, but better half I am interested in, and and it'll be out July first. People pre-order now. Pre-order. Yeah. So when it comes out, you don't have to wait a moment. It'll be just right there delivered to you. So pre-order, do it. Go there now. Go, go, pure. But I'm not quite ready to let you go. So I'm going to do this one at a time. I'm going to start with Asha. Uh, and you can think about your answer, Allie, while Asha is answering it. Right. I want you to think about the writing you've done here since you started this project. Think about all the writing you've done. And if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? Oh boy. Um, if it's taught me anything, it's taught me that even looking out over a life that I would say is pretty ordinary, you know, I'm a wife, a mom. I've been with the same guy for 33 years. I've got two grown kids. I run a house. I've, after this interview, I've got to do um, laundry. Um, <laughs> that everyone has a story to tell. Yeah. And the life of a human is, um, is it's an interesting journey. And you, I don't think you really realize the impact of all the stories going on around you and how they impact your own story until you do something like writing um, to flesh it all out. Because we are consummate observers of people. Boy, people watching is one of my favorite things to do. And um Everyone has a story and those little bits of it have helped us write these interesting stories. So every person I've come across 
the interactions I've had, the stories I've heard from other people's lives have all served to enrich my writing. That's a pretty good answer. Not that I'm ranking them. <laughs> I like it though. And I, and I like it and I totally agree. Allie, how about you? What's it taught you? What's it taught you about being a human being? Well, first I'm laughing because Ash and I always joke as teachers and we were very, very good students that we're still grade grubbers. So when you said that's a good answer, I was like, ooh, Asha got an A. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, you know, I don't know so much as Tommy as I'm going to twist it a little bit. Okay. I'm going to say reminds me over and over. And I feel so privileged to be in this position that the greatest way to teach is through action. And I feel so proud of Asha and I, and so lucky that we are now out in the world being great mentors just by what we're doing and how we're walking through the world to kids and particularly our own kids of like, you can start something from scratch anytime. You can learn how to do it. You can work hard. You can persevere. I love that we have a story to other women out there who are middle-aged, which at a time can be when women are sort of brushed aside of like, look, in middle age, we started something brand new that we didn't know how to do, that we worked through, that we persevered, and that it's never too late to start something and that you shouldn't sit around and wait until you have the perfect qualifications or it's the perfect time or the scenario for you to move forward and do it is the right time. And that we are walking mentors out in the world of just like average women who did just that. And I love that we have developed into being able to be those examples in the world. I like it. These are good. Two good answers. You both get A's. You both get A's. All right? I give it to you. Who's valedictorian? You have to co-valedictorian. I'm sorry. You're going to have to do it. Something you should be able to do. Listen, Asha Yeomans, Allie Frank, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Bill. So that's pretty good, right? Be an example. And uh, everyone's got a story to tell. It's true. Everyone does have a story to tell. You do. I do. Everybody. Everybody does. Everyone's story is worth telling. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. Remember, go check out Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer. Love the podcast. So glad I get to share it with you. See, I love that, right? What do I say every week? Find something you love to do and do it, right? Well, I love that. That's why I did it. That's why I did it. What about you? What do you love? Huh? What do you love? What are you waiting for? If you're not doing it now, if you aren't already doing it, do it. It's worth it. <laughs>